to this morning. We continue through the book. And uh, the title this morning, A Warning to Us Children. Remember, 1 John is written to Christians. We've been looking through, we looked at the fellowship and the importance of fellowship with God. And uh, here, a few verses into verse, the chapter number 2, we see a warning. It starts off, though, before we get to the warning, kind of a breakdown of, of this letter to kind of who it's written to and things like that as well. Look with me, if you would, in verse number 12. It says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Uh, you, uh, excuse me, have forgiven you for you, His name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. And then the rest of the chapter looks at the warning. So we're going to look at those three verses first, and then we'll look at the warning to us children as well. Lord, we thank you for your word and what it teaches us. And God, I pray that today as we continue to study through this book, that again you would just show yourself to us. Lord, that you would be able to clear our hearts and minds this morning, that we'd be able to receive what you'd want us to receive. And Lord, that you'd help me as I present this passage, that I do it clearly and correctly. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we'll look at this breakdown of this letter here, and he mentions three different groups, right? He mentions little children, he mentions fathers, and he mentions young men. And in the day and age of, of which pronouns we're supposed to use, let me just clarify that this is, it's, it is a, a picture, right? Uh, so young children is the newer Christians. It's not about age, it's about maturity in Christ. So it is the younger Christians, the fathers are the, the uh, most mature. It has uh, been around the longest. It has uh, the most learned of, of us. And then the young men would be kind of that middle ground, so to say, the, those who have matured past childhood and are kind of those strong, battling-type uh, folks, the soldier-type age group there of Christians. And so we see three groups mentioned here. Verse number 12 he starts off with talking about these newer Christians, the young children. As he says, I have written to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. He's writing unto the little Christians, the young Christians, because they're newly saved. So this book is going to be an encouragement. It's going to be a help. It's going to be learning for them because they are newly saved. In verse 13, it also says, for the little children... Uh, he says it in the, where is that at, in the last part of the verse, because ye have known the Father. So again, it's going back onto the fact because you are now a part of the relationship. You are now a child of God. You have known, which we talked about with fellowship, right? Because you, you can know that you know the fellowship of God, that you're in fellowship with God, that you have fellowship with God. And so for the newer Christians, he say, we're writing unto you because you're newly saved. It's going to be an encouragement and growth for you. And because now that you know the Father, you have to learn how to truly know the Father, how to truly have the fellowship with Him. Then the young men are mentioned in verse 13 and 14. And again, these are the maturing Christians, those that are no longer babes in Christ. Now they are at uh, a fighting age, so to say. Uh, right? You're only allowed to be in the army once you hit a certain age. What is it, 18, I think? And, uh, and, and then really you get to a point where you're too old to be in the military anymore because you're too slow, uh, too angry, whatever it is. I don't know. But uh, you get to that point where you're in this, this, this prime of life, so to say. And these young men here in verse 13 and 14 are mentioned because they are strong. Uh, as you mature, you begin to see more victories. Uh, as you mature in Christ, you begin to see more victories. 
as you're growing and learning of God, as you're reading the Bible, as you're hearing preaching, as you're studying on your own, as you're praying, you begin to see victories over things in your life. Triumph over sin. Triumph over temptation. You get these things where you begin to progress and as you grow, you have uh, this continued strength that you come. You have a passion. Um, if you've been around camp meeting preaching before, uh, this will make more sense to you. But you have a fighting will uh, where you're ready just to go to battle, just go to war. Um, we talk about it in youth groups sometimes where, with teenagers where you're trying to teach them the importance of the, the fact that we are in a spiritual warfare. So you've got to put on your armor and you've got to get your sword and you've got to be ready to charge uh, the Satan. And, uh, and when you're these, these young men, that's kind of where you are. You're in that, uh, that uh, a lot of energy, a lot of ambition, ready to go and fight the devil at all costs. And that's what the young men, we're writing to you because you are strong, because you have this, uh, uh, this, this passion to fight, uh, because you're ready to fight. And then the fathers, or the, the aged, the mature in Christ, those that have been saved and grown, matured in Christ, over time. Just because you've been saved a long time doesn't mean you've matured in Christ. But that's, we're talking to the people who have matured in Christ. They have grown and they are now wise of the things of God. And it basically it says the same thing for them in both uh, verse 13 and 14. It says in verse number 14, I write, write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. And in verse 14 it's the same thing as well. Because you have known him that is from the beginning. It's that fellowship that we've talked about. It's saying you've been around a while, but listen, you need to understand you still have need of instruction. No matter how old you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter how wise you are, you never come to the point in your life where you don't need any more instruction from God. We, we are at this sometimes where we feel like, well, well, I'm smart, I got it. I don't need any more teaching. I went to college, and at, uh, by the time I was a senior in college, uh, with where I was going to go after college, the, the career, the job I had lined up, I had to go after college, and what I was being taught in college, I kind of got to the point where I was like, I don't need to know any of this. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you're in chemistry class in high school, you're like, I don't need to know this. Uh, and all these other classes, algebra, I don't need to know this. Uh, that kind of mentality. Uh, I was that way in college where I got to the point where I was like, I'm going to go work at the same ministry that I grew up in. I know everything about that ministry. I know how, how to do that ministry. And what you're trying to teach me in college, I have no need of. Um, I, I never planned on being a pastor. And uh, it may have helped me to pay attention those last couple of years of college. Uh, but at the time, I was like, I don't need it. I don't, I don't need what, I, what I'm getting here. And uh, uh, nonetheless, I did. But you know, as Christians, sometimes I feel like the, the longer we've been a Christian, the longer we've been in church, the longer we've been around God's Word, sometimes we get this arrogancy about ourselves because we see some other people that may not have been as learned as we are. And we think, I'm good. I've got this. And the reality is you, you're not good and you don't got it. And neither am I. We have a need to learn. And even though we've known the Father, even though we've experienced God, even though we've seen God work in our lives, even though we've depended on God for other areas, that doesn't mean we're done. Uh, I'm thankful for preachers that I've heard throughout my life that have said, if you still got a breath, God still has something for you. And not just something for your life, but something to teach you, something to stretch you, something to grow you. And we have that, that understanding that we have those needs. And so the letter being written here to Christians, it's for all age groups. There's something for everybody in this letter that's being written uh, here for Christians. So let's get into the warning, and we'll spend most of the rest of our time here 
uh, about the warning to us children. There's really two warnings here. And uh, so let's look at both of them. The first one is the warning of love not the world. Verse number 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He says here the first warning for us children is love not the world. We know the Bible teaches us that, that uh, we cannot love the world and love God. It doesn't work. The things of the world are at enmity against God. They don't, they don't come and mesh. They come and, and hit ahead. They don't, they don't come together. The things of the world and the things of God are not the same thing. They cannot be the same thing. Because the things of the world are at enmity or the enemy of God. And the Bible tells us that we cannot love God and mammon. We cannot love God and the things of the world. It doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't mesh. It doesn't fit. You can't do it. The Bible very clearly states that you cannot do it. The Bible tells us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So the things that I treasure, the things that I love, uh, the things that I desire, that's where my heart is. So if I love God, if I desire God, if I, if I prioritize God, then my heart will be with God. But if I love money, if I love applause, if I love status, uh, if I love whatever in this world, if that's my desire is to gain the world, then that's where my heart's going to be. There are people who say, well, I can do both. No, you can't. The Bible says you can't. You know, well, but I have, to, I have to love the world so I can be a good witness. No. No, you have to love sinners. That's what God did. You have to love people. That's what God did. You don't have to love the world. The people who say, well, in order for me to have an influence for my drunk friends, I have to drink with them. <laughs> no. That's stupidity. The people who say, well, I have to listen uh, or go to the places that they go or listen to things they listen to or watch the TV shows they watch so that I can have influence with them. That way I can be in the conversation with them. No. It might exclude you from some conversations. It does not exclude you from sharing the gospel with them. And the reality is that so oftentimes we try to make excuses for why I need to be in the world where I need to love the things of the world, where I need to be involved with the things of the world so that I can better love God. And God says you can't do it. He says, love not the world, neither the things in the world. Do you need money to live? Yes. But there's a difference between working, working hard, having a good job, getting paid a reasonable salary, there, there's a difference between that and saying, I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. Right? There's a, there's a massive difference between the desiring the money versus working for the money. There's a difference between having to have the money versus depending on God to provide the money. And so we come to this point where we have to look at the warning that God is giving us here, and He says, love not the world. Why? Because the world produces sin. And what does sin produce? Sin produces hindrances in our fellowship with God. Remember, we're talking to Christians here. First John is. 
And we've talked already about in chapter 1 about fellowship with God and the way God intended it. And we talked about the hindrances to fellowship that come as a result of sin. And so when we come to this point where we're saying, well, well, if I'm not supposed to love the world, why am I not supposed to love the world? Well, world produces sin. Sin produces the, the distraction. Sin produces the interruption with our fellowship with God. And it gives us here three things. And we see it, I believe, in every sin we commit, one of these, things, one of these three things is there. And it's there in verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So all that is in the world, these three things. And in any sin you commit, at least one of these three things is involved. From the beginning of time, we see this. You look at Adam and Eve. You look at, uh, at Lucifer. It's involved here. One of these three things, at least, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So what are they? Lust of the flesh. As simply as I can put it, it's the sins of the body. It's an, it's an action. It's, it's what I'm doing. It's a sin with the body. It's that lust of the flesh, the desire to fulfill the, the desire of my natural self. Right? The Bible tells us that when I get saved, when God saves me, I become a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The issue is, is that the flesh is still there battling. It doesn't let go. But I'm supposed to be new. I'm supposed to live with a new vision, with a new goal, with a new priority. But that flesh is still battling, and there are times in life where the flesh is battling and I give way to the flesh. It's the sin of the body. It's the actions that we're committing. It can be a number of different things involved in that, but very simply, as simply as I can put it, sins with the body. Lust of the eyes is, is mainly covetousness. I see something and I desire that, it's not what God desires for me. Something that I don't have that I, that I want uh, in an improper way. Covetousness. The lust of the eyes. Something that I see uh, there and I, and I go after that, that because of it. The pride of life is, again, simply put, vanity. You can go deeper into all three of these things, but vanity. The desire for applause, for recognition, for fame. And everybody, to a degree, has always wanted to be I guess famous would be the right word for it. But today, social media just ramps that up a little bit. The desire to, to, for, for something to go viral. Uh, we've talked about it before, but you have these people who are like, uh, um, you know, they're helping someone. And they got a video crew with them and uh, this random act of kindness. Uh, but hey, radio check, mic check, is this thing working? Uh, you know, okay, all right, good, let's go give this, this thing to this person. Make sure you get pictures of it. Make sure it goes on Instagram. Make sure it goes on Facebook. Make sure the world sees it. Maybe ABC will pick it up, and, uh, and they'll put it on whatever show they do now in the mornings and, and evenings, and, and, uh, and then maybe we'll end up becoming millionaires because of our kindness to this one poor, wretched person. It's not, it's not being kind. It's not loving, right? It is this vain existence, the desire to be seen, the desire to be applauded, the desire to, uh, uh, to, to gain some sense of fame. I don't even think fame means the thing anymore that it used to. But it's vanity. And that's what the world produces. They produce sins of the flesh, lust of the flesh, sins of the body, lust of the eyes, covetousness, and the pride of life, vanity. And it's out there, and it's, it's right there for us to grab because it's, it's ever-present. 
As long as we're alive, it's present. And again, you go back to, to, to the beginning, you look at Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden. Everything in the garden is available to them except for one thing. And they had everything perfect. Think about it for a minute. They, uh, they had pets. Right? Most of us like pets. They had pets, and they had some pretty cool pets. And they could walk up to any animal and not have to worry about it biting them. The older I get, the more afraid I am of that. Man, as a kid, we'd go play in the creek, pulling up rocks, catching crawfish. Uh, we'd go catch snakes. Uh, we would just run around in the woods with not a care in the world. And now it's like, if I'm walking through a creek, man, I'm watching every step. I'm like, surely there's a snake that's going to bite me. If I see a snake, I don't play with it. I kill it. I don't care what kind of snake it is. It doesn't matter to me. It's dead. If I'm in a field with, a, with a, uh, an animal that's not a dog or, or a cat, I'm very aware of it. I grew up around horses. I mean, I was safe around horses. I wasn't stupid with them because I knew they could kill me, but I, was, I never really thought too much about it. Now, if I'm around a horse, if I'm inside its pasture, I'm very aware. Like, is it going to get mad and kick me or try to run over me? Uh, I, I wasn't around cows a whole lot, but a little bit, and I was smart enough to know that, that a cow, as friendly as it could seem, all it has to do is sit on you and you're, you're in trouble. So I'm more aware of those things the older that I get. But you see, the world is dangerous. But back then, in the Garden of Eden, there was no fear. There was nothing to be scared of. They had all they could eat at all times. They had uh, time together, Adam and Eve, with no, nothing to get in the way, nothing to distract them. The job was pretty easy. The pay was great. But what happened? The one thing they weren't allowed to do. They did, and we like to blame Eve as men. The Bible teaches us that it wasn't until Adam ate that ultimately the curse came. You see this, this mentality of, well, I've protected myself. I've put myself in a good situation. I've, I've bubbled myself. I've, I, I've sheltered even my children, which I think is smart. And I've sheltered and I've protected them. But guess what? The world's still here. And in the world are these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And we have to understand that we cannot love the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Because God does not love the world or the things that are in the world. He loves the people, we understand. But you've got to understand that we cannot love those things. Our love has to be a God. It has to be a priority. It has to be uh, uh, everything to Him. The world's going to be destroyed. Everything in the world is going to be destroyed. But God and the things of God will not. It tells us there in verse number 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The understanding that the things of this world, you know, you've heard the stories and the little, little taglines, you can't take a U-Haul, you don't see a U-Haul behind a hearse, although I saw a picture of that recently. Uh, but you, uh, you, can't, you can't take uh, your things of this world with you. When you're dead, you're dead. Everything that you own on this earth stays on this earth. 
And there's coming a day where Christ will return, and when He does, He's going to destroy the world. He's going to destroy the sin right off the face of the earth. And it says there in verse number 17, that not only the world passeth away, but it says the lust thereof. Every wickedness, every sin, God's going to wipe this earth clean of it. So why should you spend your life loving those things? Things that cannot last. I talk about heaven and, and, and kind of always say this idea of I don't think we grasp it. <laughs> you know, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to go find Abraham and I'm going to ask him about this. Honestly, our, our awe of Abraham on this earth, he's, he's, a, he's an example of faith. When we get to heaven, our, our awe is not going to be on Abraham. <laughs> it's going to be on God. Why? Because Abraham passed away. God rose from the dead. You see, the things of this world, even the, the good things of this world pass away. It's not just the wicked things of the world. The result is everything on this earth is going to be gone at some point in time. And the best people, and again, I believe we, if we have a good example, I think we should learn from it. But the reality is, is our love isn't for Abraham. And it isn't for Moses. And it isn't for Paul. It's, it's for God. And God has to be our love, not the world. Love, not the world. The second warning that we're given is listen to God and His Word. And I say that, and I know you've heard that before, right? As a little kid, we sing the song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Listen to God and His Word. What do we mean by that? The, the Bible and God give us truth. And we need to cling to that truth. In verse number 19, it tells us there's going to be false teachers. Look in verse number 19. It says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, have, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, and uh, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have uh, an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. We see this group of people here that he talks about. He said they've went out from us. And I've, I've heard this preached incredibly wrong before. Um, you know, these people... Oh, uh, so the circles that I come from. And I never heard this in my home churches. I've heard it since I've become an adult. Uh, but, you know, we're independent, fundamental Baptist, amen. And anybody who's not, I feel bad for them because they're, oh, they're in a bad situation. Um, they may be. It depends on why, you know, what, what they did, I guess. But, but I, I, the nomination doesn't make you. Uh, the, the Word of God does. And you have these people who will say, well, they went out from among us, and they're not of us. Okay. I've learned I don't, I don't want to be of us. <laughs> but what it means is, what, what is being said here, is these people said they were, they were like us. They said that they taught like we taught. They said that they held to the truth, and they didn't. 
It's not that they went away from a denomination, it's that they went away from the truth. And they walked away from the truth, and as they did, we see here this situation where he says uh, that, that they are no longer part of us. And, and as they went out, they, they, they showed who they really were, and they went out, and he says, but you all that I'm writing to, hey, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. And I'm writing you not because you don't know this. I'm writing this because you do know this, because you do know the truth. And he asked the question, who's a liar? But he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. And you think about the time here. we got the Apostle John here uh, uh, is, is the human uh, penner, the guy who, who penned the, the, the epistle. And, of course, he's doing so by inspiration of God. But you think about that time. It's shortly after Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension. And there were still people who saw Jesus Christ nailed to a cross, buried, rose again, who said, no, he's not, he's not, he's not God. It blows my mind. But the reality is, is there were other people who watched God heal people and said, no, he's not God. So I guess it fits. But here we have people who are in the church, supposedly, and now they've gone out and they begin teaching, and, and one of the things they're teaching is Jesus is not the Christ. And he says in verse 22 that these people are antichrist. They're against Christ if they deny the Father. And if you deny the Son... You can't have the Father. You can go back to John 3 and kind of read similar, similar wording to this. But if you deny Jesus is who Jesus said He was, then you can't have God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. He's made flesh. And he came to the earth and He gave of Himself. And He died on a cross. He took the burden of my sins, the weight of my sins, the payment of my sins on Him. And He was buried. Three days later, he rose victoriously from the death, uh, from the grave, over death, over sin, over hell, so that I can have that victory too. And if you don't believe that's who Jesus is, then you don't have God. The reality is this is the, the main thing that's brought up here, but the truth is if you're going to deny the truth of God, whether it's Jesus is God or any other truth that God puts down, then you're missing something. You're not of the Father. Me and my son, I won't mention the group, but me and my son had a conversation on the drive to church this morning about a, a, a singing group. And uh, <laughs> he just mentioned, oh yeah, I heard this song from these people. I said, where did you hear those people at? He said, well, it was on YouTube. And I said, we're not listening to those people. Uh, and I just kind of briefly explained why. Uh, in my own words, they're godless people claiming to be godly people. And we're not going to have any association with that. All people make mistakes. You can open up your hymn book and find sinners. But I'll tell you, there are certain people that I, I don't want any association with. And I told, I told Brett, I said, when you stand before God, you don't want any association with those people. And there are things in life where we sit and, and there are people, and especially now with the influence of the Internet, there are people that we can find that are out there, and they might say a, a clip of something that sounds really good. But you better know what they're teaching. The day and age of where we hear something we like and so we hit retweet or share or whatever it is, you better know what that person is. I used to somewhat joke, my mother-in-law uh, lives in Florida now and they've been down there for several years. And they were down in Gainesville when Tim Tebow played for the Gators. 
And, uh, and she was all about Tim Tebow. And I said to my mother-in-law, he's not a Christian. She said, what do you mean? I said, he plays for the Gators. <laughs> I grew up in a, in a, if I can use the word circle, that was very skeptical of Christians who thought differently than they did. And I think there's some wisdom in that. But we better be careful. As we, go, we go too far sometimes. The other direction, right? Well, they're not exactly like me, so they can't have anything good to say. It seems like we go on either side, right? And again, I think there's some safety in that, on that side, some, but I don't think it's right either. But sometimes we go the other direction where we say, hey, just because that person doesn't do everything like I do it, this thing they said was really good. So I'm going to promote them. But if you take just a moment to listen to their salvation theology and doctrine, their stance on things the Bible is very clear on. And if they're going to sit here and say, no, this is okay. We welcome it. We encourage it, even. And the Bible says it's wrong. you got to get away from those people. They might not use the same Bible version you use, but they still love God and love people and serve God and follow God. I can live with that. Because I believe God lives with that. But if they're going to say that what God says is wrong is right or fine, no, we've got to get away from those people. If they're going to say that God didn't mean what he said, no, 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 no. You've got to get away from those people. And that's what he's talking about here. What is truth? Cling to truth. And if someone preaches something that's not truth, You've got to get away from them. They're not of us. And by us, I don't mean independent Baptists. I mean they're not of us, Christians. If they're denying the truth of God, if they're denying things that God made so very clear, you've got to get away from them. And in a world that tells us you need to be uh, accepting, the Bible says uses the word loving. It's two different things. And the world is going to tell you, in order for you to love, you have to accept. But God says, in order for you to love, you cannot accept. You must, must speak truth. <laughs> you must speak truth. You must accept truth. You must cling to truth. And then it talks about there the importance of believing the truth in verse 24 through the rest of the, the chapter. It says, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing uh, which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye, ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing uh, teacheth you all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, ye may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Listen to these verses. This is, this is important. We wanted to make sure we understand it, but he says there, I love the way it's worded in verse number uh, 27. 
the middle of the verse it says, Ye need not any man to teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. What's it talking about there? Does it mean that you should never listen to anybody else? No. But what he's saying here, I believe, and, and maybe I'm wrong and I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation with you later, but I believe what it's saying here is the Holy Spirit has promised to teach you the things of God. As you read your, your Bible, the Holy Spirit tells you what it means, teaches you. And then I believe God places godly influences in your life that you hold up to the Bible, you mirror with the Bible. If what they're saying is matching up with the Bible, then, there's, then, there, then you have that truth there that you can listen and learn from. But what he's saying is don't be so dependent on men to teach you what God is more than happy to teach you. And sometimes we take the excuse of, well, I'm not very smart. Um, you know, I grew up in Tennessee, and uh, all we heard about is how dumb Alabama people were. But, um, but then we moved to Kentucky. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I've heard my whole life people, you know, kind of play off how dumb they are. Oh, I'm not very smart. You know what? The Bible teaches us that if you'll read your Bible, God will teach you. And we're so dependent sometimes on the preacher explaining things. And listen, I'm supposed to. That's what, that's what God's placed me here to do. But sometimes we depend so much on, on, on the preacher telling me something that I don't ever take the time myself. And God has given you His Word. His literal Word He's given to you for you to read. And not only that, He's given you the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, to teach you. And when the Holy Spirit doesn't teach you wrong. I use Bible commentaries. I, I enjoy some of them very much. But they're men. And sometimes they're wrong. The Holy Spirit's not. I've, I've sat down before preparing for sermons with three different commentaries out. And I'll read what this guy has to say about it. And I'll read what this guy has to say about it. And I'll read what this guy has to say about it. All three of them say something different. And then I'm sitting there scratching my head going, okay, well, I've heard this before, but I've also heard some of that before. So I'll read it again. And you guys know how much I hate to read. Reading through something twice, man, that's a pain. Uh, so I read through it again. I'm sitting there going, I'm so confused. And so I closed all three books. And I prayed again. Lord, what does this mean? And I read through the passage again. And sometimes several times over, praying as I'm reading, God, what does this mean? And there have been times where I've scratched the whole sermon and moved on to something else to give more time to figure it out. More time to learn. And there are other times where God has pointed it out to me. And you see, the Holy Spirit, when He teaches us, He's not wrong. He doesn't lie to us. The guy on YouTube, he lies to us. And I'm telling you, you cannot be dependent on men to teach you what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Will the Holy Spirit use men to teach? Sure. But He says here, as He's talking to, again, to these little children, especially encouraging these young in Christ, the same Holy Spirit that convicted your heart of your need for salvation and helped you understand what God did for you is the same Holy Spirit that will teach you what His Word says.
But if you're not reading it, you're not going to get it. There is so much false teaching in this world today. And there always has been. We just have so much access to it today. I worked at a Christian radio station selling radio ads, and I never listened to our station more than once because there was some baloney on it. And I'm sitting there going, my goodness, what, what did they just say? And you see, we have so much of that out there. If you're listening to the radio, if you're listening to, to YouTube, if you're listening to podcasts, whatever it may be, measure it with the Bible. And if they say something that, that the Bible clearly states the opposite of, turn them off, delete them, don't ever listen to them again. Because it will influence you, it will take over. And the warning that we're given is not just to not love the world, but stay away from liars. Especially when it comes to the things of God. And understand and believe the truth that God has given you, His Word. If you read it in the Bible and it says, Thou shalt not, guess what? Thou shalt not. And that's the area that I get so frustrated with today is people, Christians, so-called Christians, saying, no, 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 no. You have to love them. And so you need to accept them. I said, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says I'm supposed to love them and therefore I'm supposed to help them do right. I cannot accept sin. God doesn't accept sin. And granted, again, I'll give the, the little cursor here that some people have done it the wrong way. Some people with the right motives have done it the wrong way, and, and sure, man, that hurts, that hurts our reputation. Sometimes it even hurts our opportunity to help people. But there is a right way to do it. But we can't help other people with the truth if we're not clinging to the truth ourselves. So believe God's Word. Believe the truth of God's Word. Listen to God and His Word. The two warnings we're given here in this chapter is love not the world and then be careful what you listen to, who you listen to. Ultimately, you need to be listening to God and His Word. And by listening, I mean reading. And listening, right? You need to be in church. There's, there are several reasons why you should be in church, but you need to be in church so that you can hear the truth of God's Word. And you need to, to be reading your Bible so the Holy Spirit can teach you on a daily basis things of God's Word. And don't get so caught up and dependent on other people to teach you. Be dependent on God to teach you. Even when you're sitting in church, be dependent on God to teach you. You should ask God every single time you're in a church service, God, teach me something. God has given us everything that we need and He's placed it in our laps. He's placed it in our pockets. He's placed it everywhere we could possibly think of these days. Read it. Cling to it. Claim it. Know truth so you can follow truth. And understand that everything in Scripture is given for you. Whether you're uh, the young child, whether you're the young man, whether you're the father, there's something for you in it. So grab it and hold on to it and learn from it and grow in it 
and know that it's there for you to have. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. We know the world throws a lot of flowery things at us, a lot of things that look good, a lot of things that are uh, appealing, especially to our natural flesh. But God, I pray that you'd help us to love not the world or the things that are in the world, but Lord, that we'd love you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to prioritize you in our life. Lord, that everything we do would come after you. Lord, I pray that we have the Bible. I pray that we would use the Bible. And God, as you've given us your, your spirit to teach and to guide and to train, Lord, I pray that we would be dependent on you to teach us. God, that we wouldn't be lazy with your word. God, I pray that we would be the Christians that you desire for us to be. I believe that you want us to impact the world, but I know that we can't do that if we're not right with you. So God, I pray that you would search our lives this morning, draw us to you, Lord, that we would be exactly what you want us to be. I pray for this church. God, that we together as a unit would love you, follow you, and serve you. And God, that we would love your word and the truth that is in it. That we would always teach what is truth and what is right. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be a lighthouse. Lord, that you would use us to spark revival. Lord, that you would use us to be a part of the solution. We pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed.